you may never treat an eating disorder, but you're going to see them. I promise they're going to come into your office. And when they do, here's what I want you to know. Hello, welcome to The Seasoned RD, a podcast connecting newer professionals in the field of eating disorders to those of us who have been around for a while. I'm your host, Beth Harrell, a certified eating disorders registered dietitian and supervisor. And I'm Abby Brown, a registered dietitian who is newer to the field. I think of myself as a well-seasoned cast iron skillet with wisdom and experience, yet always ready for something new. And I think of myself as an Instapot with innovation and a fresh perspective. This podcast brings both to the table to share ingredients, recipes, and techniques of past and present so we can all be our best for the future. The kettle is heating up. The skillet is on simmer. So join us around the table for true professional nourishment. Abby, ready to stir the pot? Let's do it. Hello, and welcome to The Seasoned RD. Abby and I wanted to bring another medical series to you. We have some great and some controversial medical providers coming up for you, but we're sort of kicking off the medical series today with Jessica Lauren Newby, who is a registered dietitian. That's why I say sort of. She's not a medical provider, but she's going to tell us some nuggets on how she runs her virtual practice and how she interfaces with the medical provider some best practices for virtual practice. So many of us were doing small amounts of it before the pandemic, and that shifted greatly during the pandemic. And I think it's here to stay. So as you develop your private practice with eating disorder clients, then you can look at some of the best practices that are in the show notes. Many eating disorder professionals use blind weights, as Jessica Lauren talks about, to protect people from the emotional roller coaster of normal weight changes from morning to night. She talks about BIA, and so I'll let you know that's bioimpedance analysis. And there's some limited ways that we can use that, but I wanted you to know what that was in case you were not a registered dietitian and had not heard of BIA before. So, Benefits of virtual practice? Welcome, Jessica Lauren Newby. I'm so excited to get to talk to you for a while. I met you, but we have not really had a good long conversation. So welcome. Thrilled to be here. Thank you, Beth. Just to get things going, though, we've got some icebreaker questions. So mountains or beach? Oh, I would take both. I cannot choose between the two. Depends on the time of year. If it's chilly, I want to be in the mountains. And if it's warm, I want to be at the beach. So I would take some of both, please. (laughs) There we go. Breakfast or dinner? Breakfast, because I can eat breakfast for dinner. I love breakfast foods. Would eat them literally all the live long day. I'm with you there. I can anytime, any day. Yeah, Um, but I don't want dinner foods at breakfast. You know what I mean? So like, (laughs) I'll go with the (laughs) breakfast and then I can have that all day. Yeah, that's a line we can't cross. Mm-mm. Well, I'm going to have to say that I do that sometimes. It's very satisfying to grab a piece of pizza or something as I'm, I shouldn't be saying I'm, as I'm going out the door, but yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it can be, it can be okay for me. Yeah. You um, know, I have clients that that's a huge shift for them. When we discover that they don't have to eat breakfast foods at breakfast, they start eating breakfast more frequently and they just eat their dinner leftovers and it works so well. It can. To eat their own, right? That's right. That is right. All right. So audiobook or paper book? Oh, I love to hold a paper book. I listen to audio in the car when I'm driving, but I love to hold a real book and turn 
turn the pages. I'm the same. So what got you into nutrition and how did you get in the field of eating disorders? Sure. I got into nutrition because I was obsessed with nutrition and really wanted to do something in the health field. Father's a physician, my mother's a pharmacist, grew up in a very health conscious household, really wanted to do something on kind of the preventative end, I think. And I felt like nutrition was something that could help people before they were really sick, right? If we taught them how to take care of themselves and nourish well. But I think I sat in that first nutrition class and I thought, this is it, because I was already in the throes of my own eating disorder. And so it really fed into that issue that I was already having. So through my own recovery and then, you know, graduating and becoming, you know, licensed and registered and all these things actually swore I would never work with eating disorders. Um, <laughs> We're going to add you to the, to the long list the of list. professionals we talk to who say that. Yes. In fact, Tammy Beasley came to teach a workshop at the University of Alabama to our coordinated program students. And it was on eating disorders. And I remember sitting in the audience and saying, I will never use this, but this lady is just so wonderful and so kind. I'm going to pay attention and take good notes. But of course I was a really good student, you know, so I wanted to, to be present, but I just remember thinking I'll never use this in my whole career. And eventually what happened was there was a young woman on staff in a building where I worked on campus as a dietitian and she was struggling with bulimia. And she said her, her supervisor wanted her to get help. And she said, I only want to talk to Dr. Lauren because she kind of had rapport with me and a relationship from seeing each other in the building every day. And I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I can't do that. So I sought some supervision from a dietitian that did have eating disorder skills and just kind of tiptoed my way through that one and said, okay, I'll never do it again now. And then if you know anything about the eating disorder world, then it's like an underground railroad, you know, they connect, well, my friend needs help now and my sorority sister needs help. And so they just kept showing up on my office doorstep. And then I changed institutions, left my job after I finished my master's degree and moved to Auburn to start my PhD. And my first day on the job there, my brand new supervisor said, the eating disorder treatment team on campus is thrilled because they've never had a dietitian on campus. And I'm going to drive you over to introduce you to them so that you can start seeing the students that are on the eating disorder treatment team. Of course, I'm this, you know, like very, you know, I strongly desire I'm a people pleaser. I'm like, of course, that sounds great. And in my head, I'm thinking, this is literally what I said I'm not going to do. So once again, full circle, Tammy Beasley calls me from Huntsville, Alabama and says, Hey, I hear you're treating eating disorders at Auburn. I have a client I need to send down to you. That's been on my case list. And I'm like, well, if this is just not the funniest thing ever. So jumped into Tammy supervising me and eventually just trial by fire. If I'm, you know, being honest and, but then I fell in love with it and I'd done my own recovery work in the midst of that. And I think had so much compassion and empathy for the people sitting on the other side of the table, because I had been sitting on the other side of the table. And so getting to journey with them and walk with them in that process, I literally fell in love with it. Like I never knew possible. And then I have never looked back. So Isn't that amazing. <laughs> I love I that story. Yeah. Yeah. It's so powerful. And the compassion and empathy, making sure that you're fully through recovery because it can be so hard. And maybe that's why so many people run from it. I don't know. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
And I just got out of the hospital and I feel like I was in a time capsule because of all the things that are happening in the eating disorders and nutrition field. That will not be the topic of our conversation now, but we, it, it goes back to sitting across from that client. And you, so do you have a private practice? Yes, I work in private practice now. Um, when we left Auburn University and moved to Oxford, Mississippi for my husband's job here, I moved my teeny tiny virtual private practice that I had in Auburn. I opened that private practice long before COVID when the university closed its doors to community patients. I had a really hard time with that. I had a handful of individuals who were driving from about within a one to two hour radius because they didn't have access to an eating disorder specialist for nutrition. And it just broke my heart. I couldn't just send them out into the woods with with no support. And so again, Tammy coached me through, Hey, you can do this. You can do virtual care. People are doing this now. This is at the beginning of virtual care, you know? And so I just, a little handful of these sweet, mostly adolescent clients that I've been working with were kind of my guinea pigs. They were already my clients. So it was a really soft start to a virtual practice and parents that were so desperate for help, you know, that said, sure, we'll try online, you know, we'll do weigh-ins with the doctor, or we can try weighing in on a home bathroom scale. It's better than any of the other options we have. And so I took that teeny tiny little virtual private practice that I had on the side of my full-time university job in Auburn. And when we moved, just held on to that and continued to expand that. So yeah, what did you learn? How did you expand that? Because virtual practice is so different. Yeah, it is very different. And there are things that I love about it and things that are just the cons that I think you embrace with with the pros of something that you love. Uh, so I did I did mostly virtual with a few in-person clients through some contract work with a space here in Oxford. I also worked part-time for Batson Children's Hospital and did a lot of pediatric work both outside of eating disorders and a a little bit in eating disorders um, at a a hospital clinic. And then um, in December of 2021, I'm sorry, 2020, COVID has given me time lapse. I'm like, what year was it? So much. (laughs) I don't know. Um, So I have to think back really hard. So in December of 2020, I left my hospital job and went full-time into private practice. And I, I laugh and say that I've never really done a lot of advertising or, you know, reaching out. I've never been to all the doctor's offices in Oxford. I've never, none of those things that, and I guess it's kind of like in the beginning when eating disorders found me, they just, they keep coming. Right. Yeah. And so I really love the access of virtual care. I'm currently the only eating disorder specialist in the state of Mississippi. So I have (laughs) individuals all the way down in the Delta on the coast and then all the way up to the top of the state and east to west. And it is impossible for them to drive into my office every single week. So the beauty of having both a a brick and mortar space and virtual is that they can come and do an initial intake with me and we can do some of that sweet rapport building that I think is just a little easier face-to-face with another human being, literally sitting across from that table again, right? And then we can sprinkle in more in-person visits, you know, over time, but they get the weekly or the biweekly virtual care that they need. Mm-hmm. When I was at the children's hospital and, and working in the eating disorders area, we had to have training for virtual sessions on 
the screen, how to still look for body language, things like that. Mm -hmm. How do you as a dietitian who needs to be getting different information from them, how do you do that? Yeah, that's a great question, Beth. I I think a lot of it goes back to the skills that we use in person, but maybe we are more attuned or a little more hyper aware. The thing I love about virtual is that a client can actually take me through their space, yeah. right? So I'm understanding maybe it's an adolescent or a college student that's in in a really dysfunctional home environment. And I'm actually like hearing what goes on in the background, right? Or I'm understanding the lack of privacy or independence they have, or they can take me through and show me what their kitchen is like or where they can and can't store food. And so that part of it is really helpful. And, you know, if they're in my office, I can't see all of that. And so I kind right. of get a view into their world when they're ready and willing to do that. I think being really attuned to body language and you know, the comfort level that they have. I have clients that present for session and they're already visibly upset, right? Like I can tell that they're really like on the verge of they're really tearful or, and it's usually because something's been really hard. They have something they quote unquote want to confess, right? They're like, I really, you know, went backwards into a behavior this week. So I think, you know, I, and we don't get enough training as dietitians in the, the therapeutic approaches piece, but I think really being willing to watch and to listen and to hold space and do less of the talking. Oh, yeah. It's adapting. We're having to adapt. So Mm -hmm. there's also maybe probably not when you were in school, I don't know, but nutrition-focused physical exam. Mm -hmm. How do you do that? (laughs) Yeah. That's where I really rely on a medical provider in their area and sending them in. I have a packet that I send very graciously. I, you know, I explained to the physician, this is not me saying you don't know how to do your job or you don't know how to treat eating disorders. But in the event that you feel like I haven't treated an eating disorder in 10 years, what do I look for? I try to send that ahead so that the physician is not floundering. I mean, we, we know as dietitians, it's impossible to keep up with every single thing, every new diagnosis. We need to help each other out. Right. So I always with a little hesitancy send it and I'm like, please don't think I'm telling you, you don't know how to do your job, but I've never had a physician write back and say, I can't believe you did this. You know, they're always so very grateful. (laughs) So that's, that's what I rely on there. So a nurse practitioner or a, you know, a physician that is willing to do an exam and that will look for all of those physical findings and run the correct lab results and then interpret all of that through the eating disorder lens. Right. And that's the problem I see is that if they don't have an eating disorder specific guide, they can get some of those things back and say, oh, well, that's normal or give a client feedback like, oh, your cholesterol is high. So you probably need to watch what you eat. And I'm like, their cholesterol is high because they have anorexia and their body's overproducing cholesterol. That's exactly. (laughs) So (laughs) yeah, it's complicated. It is complicated, but you, it's such a gentle way of, you know, just sending this packet and saying, cause you started out the same way. You didn't really want to do no. eating disorders and uh, so many people, doctors, dietitians, some therapists kind of want to run the other way. Yeah. So that's a, I love that idea of sending that, that packet that says, mm-hmm here's what I, you know, you're a certified eating disorders specialist, right? Registered dietitian. So you've been through training and and passed an exam, but also just the years of experience and your own lived experience. 
Yes. And I still say I don't know what I'm doing. I was exactly. Oh, <laughs> that's what this podcast is about. I've been yeah. in the field a long time. And that's what I love having Abby because she she's bringing in things, letting me know different things that I hadn't heard of. And it, it, we each have some kind of level of seasoning that we want to share with each other. Yes. So with with some of that, like medical nutrition therapy, you're working with the doctor. Does your, do your clients who need weight restoration, what do you do with them? Yes. If you're doing virtual. Yes. So if we need weight restoration, I, you know, four or five years ago when I first started in virtual, it was getting them to a doctor every week to do a blind weigh in kind of biting our nails as we go, making sure that the physician or the nurse or whoever is not going to blurt the weight out, despite the fact that we've given very clear instructions, you know, and I have these sweet individuals that are trying so hard to not engage with the number and they turn around backwards and they tell the person they don't want to know it. And then they still say it out loud yeah. you know, while they're writing yeah. it down. And it's just, and I know it's not done from a place of, of malice, but it can really cause a, a big setback for the individual. So that was always a very nitty gritty, uncomfortable process. And then getting the nurse, you know, or the front staff to then fax or email or call and give me the weight. It was very cumbersome. And so we did that for years. I I have had individuals who have weighed in with a parent, a partner, a spouse, a support person, you know, or even sometimes a therapist that would be willing, they're seeing the, the therapist in person and they would then be willing to, to do a wait for them because often we're patching together care, right? We're talking about people who are just trying to do the best with what they have access to where they are. And so we did that, but it was certainly not easy or straightforward or what I would call quote unquote best practice, right? Yeah. So when the pandemic hit and wreaked havoc on so many things, I was so excited to see that a numberless in your home scale was going to be available to the public, to individuals who needed it. And so I reached out and connected with Clear Step and just said, Hey, I want to know more about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I am often very skeptical of of, of products. And I guess just because of the field that I work in, you know, like everyone's always trying to sell someone something in the wellness industry. And so, but I just was so pleased with everything that I saw and heard from the very beginning from the personal, just, you know, interaction and communication that I had with a very small company from the beginning. And so they said, you know, here's, here's how we register and here's how we get scales to your clients. And so most of my clients instantly loved it. You know, it meant I don't have to go to the doctor's office once a week anymore. Yeah. You know, I can literally roll out of my bed, use the bathroom, stay in my pajamas and step on the scale. Exactly. So yeah. ease of access is phenomenal. All right, let's take a quick break to recognize our sponsor, My Clear Step. If you haven't heard of them, they have numberless scales and are the first HIPAA compliant solution to a blind weigh-in for clients working to recover from their eating disorders. And although I had heard of this several years ago, these scales became a game changer during the pandemic for so many of us, myself included. Seamless access 
to data for clinicians and a simple anxiety-free virtual experience for clients and families. They are offering a discount to listeners of this podcast with the code Beth Harrell at myclearstep.com. Information in the show notes. So let's talk best practices. I mean, this is something that you're you've been using for a while. You're intricately involved with it, and I have found it to be. I, like you, was virtual before the pandemic, not as much as I am now by any stretch. And we have some groups and and they start talking about this numberless scale. It's a Bluetooth, you know, they can just stand on it. And so there's there's some pros and cons or things that we, we have to prepare our clients for. Why don't you, can you walk us through some of the best practices if somebody's just yeah. now hearing about it or thinking about getting their client on Sure. sure. I think ClearStep is best used with a client that is really highly motivated and invested in their recovery. You know, they are not interested in tipping the scales. And even if they have those thoughts, they know that it does not benefit them to do that. Right. And they're really um, committed to the process. So there is certainly an ideal client, I would say for it. Now I have also had parents use it for adolescents. And of course they're using supervision for maybe an adolescent who really does, is not in, in, you know, a good place in their recovery, but requires that supervision. So there are certainly different ways to go about it, depending on the kind of client you're working with. So ideal client is always ideal, but we don't always have that. <laughs> and then secondly, you know, I walk clients through what would cause a, a big shift or what would maybe kind of skew the numbers unintentionally. Right. And again, if we're working with someone who we know is invested in the process is typically very forthcoming and honest. If I see something that changes pretty drastically, then I'm going to ask questions. And and I try and do that in a way that is not accusatory, of course, but just says, hey, you know, the, the scale seems to have jumped in one direction or another kind of drastically. And they're typically weighing for me every seven to 14 days. That's kind of middle of the road. I have some that weigh more frequently and some less frequently, which we can talk about, you know, the whys we might do that. Mm-hmm. But then we just go through, okay, so did we move the scale? Was it once upon a time in your bathroom and now it's in your closet? If you have college students, especially that live in older apartment buildings, sometimes the floors aren't level and oh. that can create a problem, you know? Yeah. Um, so going through where's the scale place, let's try not to move it. But then I'll say when we've had a need for recalibration or something to be looked at on the back end, Clear Step has been so great at connecting directly with my clients. So I don't have to be the middle person that's walking them through tech support and trying to get them to fix their scale mm-hmm. and then helping them reset it to recalibrate right there on site. So that is also so really beneficial. And then helping them understand, okay, it's best to weigh first thing in the morning. Body weight can change drastically over the course of the day for individuals who do not have an eating disorder, much less someone who does. And so we focus on, okay, can we do it first thing in the morning? And then I just tell them approximately the same time each time they weigh in. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what would you consider kind of a normal time for you to wake up and roll out of the bed? Let's try and make that your normal weigh in time. Mm -hmm. Um, Voiding prior, of course, is ideal. And then wearing the same similar clothing, right? So not wearing your bathrobe and your bedroom shoes and all that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then not wearing anything the next time around. Right, right. Um, so shoes. Maybe, yeah, I had a question. Yeah. 
Feet, yeah, go ahead. Like socks or shoes, like no, barefoot. Won't right? work. Yeah, barefoot. yeah. They need to be barefoot. And had a problem with that. Had a client that was routinely trying to weigh in in socks. She had cold feet, of course. And mm-hmm. <laughs> um, she was keeping those little socks on. I was like, you got to take those off before you step on this. Because it's a bioimpedance, right? That Correct. helps with yes. body composition. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. So I don't know. Did I answer your question about best practice as far as what I would explain to the client? Yes. Yes. Because I have had several clients who've used them and it's so easy for me as a, and and I don't want this podcast to be an advertisement necessarily. I want it to be, this podcast is for professionals who treat eating disorders. And there's this whole way, no way, open weight, blind weight, depending on where you're coming from. Mm -hmm. In my practice, it's been just the, it's been really a life changer. And all I have to do is, is put in my code and then I've got all my clients and, and all the ups yeah. and downs. And so I had a, I have a question. I won't say all the ups and downs. It's looking at their weights, <laughs> watching mm-hmm. those go either up or down, not yes. the ups and downs of being in the portal. How accurate is the body composition? I had a client mm-hmm. who said, who I don't know if he found out that there was body composition because he wanted to know as we were discharging mm-hmm. what his fat composition had gone to. Mm-hmm. And it was a very dangerous place. So I brought, I went to the therapist and I said, he wants to know this. And she said, I don't think this is a good idea, but we, we were doing open. Well, we weren't doing open weights until later. Yeah. So I was very privileged to learn from my first supervisor at the University of Alabama had done his PhD in air displacement plasmography, which is bod pod second to like underwater weighing. So I learned a lot about the cons of BIA when I was this little like green behind the ears, baby dietitian. (laughs) And so I think it really turned me off to putting much stock at all in BIA. And I understand BIA has a value very much like running shoes. Like what you spend on running shoes is what you get. Right. So what you spend on a BIA instrument is what you get. And, And the higher cost ones are certainly a smaller margin of error, right. Than the one that like your client's going to buy at target. But, so I, I don't share any of that information with my yeah. clients and I'm, I'm not really concerned about it because the second supervisor I had when I moved to Auburn university and started my PhD and worked for Auburn as their dietitian, they did a great job. He had studied BIA for a really long, long time and taught me so much about what the changes in the little receipt that the Tanita scale would print out really mm-hmm. meant. And so he was really good to teach me about hydration and how much hydration influenced that BIA reading and really used it more to influence and encourage things like hydration yeah. and good recovery yeah. than focusing on it as like, oh, see, look, you lost 2% fat mass, you know, in two mm. days, we knew that wasn't possible. Right. So I don't discuss any of that with my clients. I will say that when one of those numbers changes, so body fat percentage or muscle mass, et cetera, if it's something drastic, right. Or if it's a, it's a really big change, then I think, okay, I wonder what's going on there. Like, were we really dehydrated? Did we have something going on? Are we trying to manipulate something, right? Like, is there something we need to have a conversation about, but I never 
come into a session and say, you know, Hey, you're really losing body fat. What do we need to do about that? So I kind of take it in stride with everything else. Yeah, that is definitely just like weight, the weight number itself. Yes. You have to work with the team and to see where this person is and their ability to process this information. And is it going to help them or, or make it harder for them? So it's the same as, as weight. And I what think if, our clients fixate, I'm sorry, I think our no. clients fixate on that because they, in, in the wellness industry, especially we're taught to only gain muscle and not gain any fat, yes. you know, which we know is really physiologically impossible, right? Just like it's almost physiologically impossible for most people to only lose fat and not lose muscle. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I think that's an important, really like educational point to talk through with a client. And I think they find out because they Google, because the clients we work with are brilliant, you know, like they're not with us because they don't have the brains about them. Um, they're very intelligent people. And so they, they look and they find the information that they want to find. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they want to know more like, okay, tell me about my body. Uh, yeah. <laughs> then you can be ready. <laughs> There's also, uh, you know, one of my, colleagues had said that their client stands on the scale several times a day and does the whole connecting Bluetooth. So that's, that's telling too, isn't it? That's a best practices. Do you have any advice for that? Sure. Yes. You know, just because the scale is numberless does not mean that the obsessions with the scale or monitoring weight instantly go away. It's amazing that this little piece of metal machinery can have such a a spell over us. So I, that's certainly, yeah, as far as best practices really talking about, I try to give clear expectations about like how often I want you to weigh in and why that's good for me. And I try to explain it in the beginning of weight restoration, especially Um, it's just really good for me to have consistent data because the body does change weight day to day naturally. Mm -hmm. And so I want to see more of a trend, right. Than these really kind of um, sporadic data points, which is what clients do to themselves, right? They get access to a friend's scale when they get home with them for spring break. And then they see that it's 15 pounds higher than the last week they saw. And we have to do all this work around, okay, but it's not the same scale. And we don't even know the last time it was recalibrated and da, 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 you know? Yes. So I talk a lot about enough data, but that we don't want it to be something that we are feeding that obsession about. Right. And so that's where I just have a conversation with them about like, okay, let's, let's make that a goal to only step on the scale once a day. And to pass that information along to the therapist so that they can look at the uh, Mm -hmm. potential obsessive compulsive um, nature of what's happening or um, they can then address it so that it's Mm -hmm. not a problem. The scale can handle it. It's just data for us. Yes. Well, and, you know, I think it's, I kind of get excited when clients are like, oh, I forgot to weigh in, you know, and, and it's because they're doing really well and they've done so much work in their recovery and they're so far removed from their weight at that point. And it's like, oh, I forgot to weigh in, you know, before I saw you today. And I'm like, no big deal. You can weigh in for me tomorrow. That will be perfectly fine, you know, because it's no longer the forefront of everything they're doing. I was going to say something similar. It's such like a satisfying little change, you know, when you, when they come mm-hmm. in and they're, weighing themselves six times a day and then they get the scale 
or we remove the regular scale, they get the clear stuff. It's like, I don't know if satisfaction is the right word, but they're not like able to see what their eating disorder wants to be progress. And so they're like, well, whatever. It is almost like a weight off of them. Like, okay, I really don't have to, like, I'm not so held to this scale number. Yes. And that's why I really love a numberless scale and doing recovery without weight. And I know that's a point, you know, different people have different, you know, viewpoints on that. But for the clientele that I have worked with, which has largely been college students and adolescents and largely female, that it is, I've just never seen it help them in their recovery. And what I have seen more often than not is that if, and, and I tell them, I'm not trying to keep anything from you. You know, it's not that I'm trying to trick you or sabotage you or make you gain an exorbitant amount of weight just so you'll hate yourself. You know, I don't gain anything from that. But what I do gain is I get to protect you from the little ups and downs of you wait at 8 a.m. and then you wait at 8 p.m. and it was five pounds difference and now we're freaking out. And then tomorrow it's going to be exactly the same again. And I know that, but you don't, right? And so I have context and I have a different set of eyes to look at it. And I can kind of protect you from that emotional roller coaster all the way through the weight restoration process. And then what I find is that so many of them arrive in this weight restored place and they're doing the body image work with their therapist and they're diving into all these different parts of their recovery. And then somehow, some way they find out their weight, right? Like they go to the doctor's appointment and it's on a piece of paper. It's not even that they were looking for it a lot times. And then they realize that they are so much more at peace in this body at that number than what they would have ever forecasted. And so even though I, I know, you know, sometimes we're afraid of like, it'll shock them or it'll, but the, the ones that have really arrived in that place with good care, I think can get to this place and say, Oh, you know what? If you'd ever told me I was going to weigh this, and be okay with it. I wouldn't believed you, but I got here and I'm living my life and it's okay. I'm totally okay with where I've landed. Yeah. The brain has been nourished. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's enough just energy to just, they just feel better. So mm-hmm. I, I love that to protect you from the ups and downs. That's the benefit mm-hmm. of the blind weight. Yeah. Is protecting you from the ups and downs. And how was it helping you anyways, as a client, right. as a patient? So that's what we can do. Awesome. Anything? I else? think it's, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Beth. I was going to say, I think it's even interesting to see like the differences between an adolescent using the scale and like a college kid using it. It can be, I don't know. It's just so it's almost like we have to reshape their views of what is healthy, especially in, you know, it depends what kind of household they grew up in, but if mom and dad or whoever is, you know, in the home is always weighing themselves and always talking about weight loss of course, they're going to think that's healthy. So even just like pulling back and what is healthy going to look like for you? And just like you said, being able to remove the stress of, oh my gosh, well, the scale went up. It must be bad. It must not be healthy. It makes such a big difference. Yes. When I think it gives them time and space to see some of the other things that change, right? So they're so fixated on the number changing and not allowing the number to change 
right? Or only making it go down. And then if we can pull them back and kind of protect them while the brain gets renourished and we've got, you know, all of these systems back on board again, then they're like, oh, you know what? Like, yeah, the number on the scale did change, but also like I'm going out with my friends and laughing again. And I'm like present for this birthday party. And I actually felt like I didn't have to work as hard to complete the same project for school that I used to could do fast, but now was taking me five times as long, you know? So it gives them that time and headspace to notice, okay, sure. The number changed, but all these other things changed too. And that's really worth it. Like the revelations we wish they could see right from the beginning. (laughs) Yes. Exactly. (laughs) So we appreciate you explaining all of this, but I do have a wrap up question for you. Okay. If you were to take yourself back to entering the field of eating disorders, what do you wish you would have known then that you do know now? I wish that I had known then that it was okay to not know, right? I think so many of us, and I realize this is stereotypical, you know, like I'm generalizing here, but so many of us, as we enter the field specifically of nutrition and dietetics, you know, we are maybe a mongers, maybe a little type a perfectionistic, like we just really want to know everything. We want to do the best job and we want to do all the things right. And I, I didn't know anything about weight neutrality, weight inclusivity, health at every size. None of that was being taught when I was in school. And so I wish I had known that at the beginning because I feel like there's so many things I would have done differently, you know, and I sat in my office one day, I saw a client who wanted to see me for like weight management or weight loss at Auburn university. I'll never forget it sitting in my office. And we went through like the goals she wanted to make for the next couple of weeks. And then I walked her up front and then I walked the next client back to my office and she, you know, had an eating disorder and she sat down and I spent the entire hour with her trying to convince her not to do the things that I had just sent the other person out of the office doing. And it was this paradigm shift in my brain. I was like, I can't do this anymore. This is like integrity matters too much to me. There has to be another way. And so no one was talking about weight inclusivity or intuitive eating, you know, in my neck of the woods where I was practicing. And so I just, I don't, I like, I got to find something new. And so I dove in and learned about, you know, what it means to be this person that's actually this professional that's caring and concerned about their health Mm -hmm. and not their body size. And I wish I had known that at the beginning of my career. And years later, I had a really sweet conversation with Don Clifford. He said, Jessica Lauren, there are so many of us, you know, did harm. We just didn't know. We didn't know what we didn't know. And I think that's a really sweet thing to hold on to, right? Like, of course I would do it differently if I could, but we don't know what we don't know. And now that we do know we can do different and we can do better. And so that has really lifted, I think a lot of that, like kind of preliminary green behind the ear shame and said, okay, now I can just, I can, I love to educate new dietitians or, you know, dietetic interns, students in nutrition and dietetics and say, Hey, you may never treat an eating disorder, but you're going to see them. I promise they're going to come into your office. And when they do, here's what I want you to know. Right. And at the same time, here's how you can do no harm and help your people on the cardiac ICU and help your people who are neurodivergent and help people with kidney disease. And you don't have to make it about size and we don't have to weight shame them. And we can actually help them be healthy in a way that's sustainable instead of something that's just going to perpetuate the cycle. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is, I mean, I would, I, I, I'm just speechless right now. (laughs) Um, I will say that the 
program that Abby came from, they are teaching health at every size and into and yes, interviewing and and right some and yeah, but honestly, like within the four years of undergrad, freshman year to senior year, there were some big changes. You know, like okay. when I first got there, health at every size was not a thing. So, no. it, but it's nice to see progress. Absolutely. Well. Yeah. And the fact that we, the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics will be having in 2023, so not too long, a weight inclusive toolkit that's going to be required for all dietetics students. Yeah. So I'm, I'm going to say that in every episode now that I have the permission to share that that's being worked yes. on by a really great group of dietitians. Now, depending on how the instructor wants to teach it, it, right. you know, So thank you, Jessica, Lauren, this has been amazing to get to know you better, to hear what your practice is like, to learn some of the best practices on using a numberless Mm -hmm. scale for a lot of the virtual clients that we have. And and we appreciate you being with us. Yes. I'm so glad I got to be here. Thankful for new developments that make our jobs easier and make recovery easier for our clients, right? Like to reduce the barriers to the things they need to do to get better. So I am very thankful for Clear Step and very thankful for you guys and getting to spend some time with you all this morning. Let's lean on each other and learn from each other so we can grow together as professionals in this field of eating disorders. If you want to connect with me for supervision or membership with monthly content, please find me at bethharrell.com slash professionals.